0: Well, open your Bibles this morning to the book of Judges, chapter 15, and let me chat with you just a little while before we read our text this morning. In order to set the stage for our thoughts, I want to remind you of something that, well, it's something that you already know, and uh, something that that song alluded to. That's the fact that life is filled with uh, many difficulties and dangers, just like, just like the Bible told us it would be, and that's the way that it is. But sometimes the greatest danger comes to us in a form that we really don't expect. For example, we sometimes, you know, as Christian people, we think about the great danger of wickedness and the harm that it does to the cause of Christ and certainly we want to avoid that and it breaks our heart whenever we hear of some brother or sister in Christ falling by the way of the world but uh, there's another problem that sometimes gets swept under the rug it seems that we forget about that can be just as dangerous and in a manner of speaking what I'm talking about can be a prelude to falling into the wickedness of this world. And what I'm talking about is weariness. You know, this is something that can trouble even the greatest servants of the Lord. And it's something that every Christian has to contend with. You know, we don't get weary of the work, but we get weary in the work. And it can affect us, you know, or because by something that is physical or something that is mental. It can be a a conflict, whether it's domestic, vocational, or uh, ecclesiastical, or whatever it is. It can be something that would trigger it, that in spite of everything else going seemingly well, all of a sudden we find ourselves growing weary in the work of the Lord. And we find many examples of that in the Bible. Uh, I can't help but think about Elijah. I mean, if ever there was a great servant of God, it was Elijah. He was a man that that boldly stood for the truth regardless of what the world did and what others thought. And yet I think about him curled up in a fetal position uh, position under the juniper tree, scared to death, and ready to quit. You would think that would never happen to a man like that, but it did. I think about Jeremiah, who is my Old Testament hero. I, something about Jeremiah, the weeping prophet that had just always sort of made him my favorite Old Testament character. But there again, when I think about all of the great things that he did and the boldness that he possessed, and I think about him on the day that he tried to resign... He really did. He said, Lord, I quit. I'm through. I've had it. I'm not going to make mention of your name anymore. And you wonder what in the world could bring a man like that uh, to such a place that he's wanting to quit. And, of course, we know he couldn't. He said, your word was like a burning fire in my bosom, and I couldn't quit, but I wanted to quit. I was ready to, to give up. Quite often you hear me uh, mention Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I have a picture of him hanging in my office, not because I agree with him on everything, but as a young preacher, even though he had been dead many years, he in some ways was a great benefit to my life, and many have called him the prince of preachers, and for good reason. And I was so shocked whenever, you know, after admiring him for a long while and reading his life story and learning that he had terrible fits of depression, as he called them. And there were times that he had to take several months each year during those periods of time of depression and go into seclusion just him and his wife and get away from all of it and you know whenever the average person thinks of that the your first thought is boy he must have really you know been weak uh, but uh, that just shows you don't know much about that man and the great things that he accomplished and that list could go on and on just this last week I learned the sad news of a young man by the name of jared wilson jared had been a pastor he was an author he in fact he was a mental health advocate and jared uh, committed suicide this last week last monday and shocked the world even though he had publicly spoke about uh, about having feelings of suicide and ministered to many people if I recall right, he had, just, he had just finished conducting the service for Rick Warren's son, who committed suicide. And, uh, and it just shocks you, and you wonder how in the world could happen, what could happen to people like that. We might as well face it as long as we're in this world and we are confronted with conflicts and we are troubled by trials and all of those old problems. Why, we just feel like that old song says, I'm tired and so weary, but I must go along. Amen? I mean, we all feel that way at some time or another. Uh, but there's one thing that keeps us going and the, the quartet the perry family sings a song that says when we hear him say well done and boy i'll tell you that's the one thing that ought to put iron in our in our soul the one thing that ought to keep us going knowing that one day We're going to stand before our dear Lord. And regardless of what difficulties we've gone through, it'll be worth it all in that day. This morning, I want to speak to you about a weary warrior. It's someone that, uh, well, you might never suspect. But here in Judges chapter number 15, beginning in verse number 14, we read about The great victory of Samson whenever he slew a thousand of the Philistines with the the jawbone of an ass. Now if he had had an AK or an AR, I might have understood that. But the life of me, I don't understand how one man with the jawbone of an ass could kill a thousand Philistines. But he did. That's what the Bible says. God enabled him to do that. But things begin to change when we get down to verse number verse number 17. And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking that he cast away the jawbone out of his hand and called the name of the place Ramath-Heli. Uh, and he was sore athirst. Well, I reckon you'd want a gallon of gatorade after doing that, Right? He was sore athirst and called on the Lord and said, Thou hast given this great deliverance into the hand of thy servant, and now shall I die for thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? But God clave in the hollow place that was in the jaw, and there came water there out. And when he had drunk his spirit again, came again, And he revived, and wherefore he called the name of the place in Hancorah, which is in, in Levi, Lehi, unto this day. War is one of the most unpleasant words I can think of. I made a list the other day of the things I hate nobody's name was on there so you're you don't have anything to worry about but there's some things i hate i hate sin i hate the devil i hate religion i hate politics i hate the entertainment industry and a lot of different things that that are detrimental to the welfare of people but but when you think about war that's just got to be on everybody's list of things that you hate The historian Herodias said, he said, it's a time when fathers bury sons rather than sons' fathers. Well, that's a good way to look at it because that is exactly the end result of war. We send away our young men and women into battle, and uh, and many of them die, of course, as a result of that. Plato said that war is always existing by nature. And then he went on to say that it was peace, not war, that was the real parentheses in human affairs. In other words, we can just expect that there are going to be wars, there's going to be conflict, there's going to be difficulty, and like it or not, this is the world that you and I live in today, and it's not going to change. Regardless of how hard we try, regardless of who we put in office, regardless of what we do, the character of this world is not going to change until Jesus Christ reigns as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So I'm saying all of that to say this. It's something that we have to live with. We are engaged in a spiritual warfare. We cannot escape it. We're in it. And there's no way out of it. But thankfully there's something that we can do that will instill courage, instruct us in the way that we ought to go, and inspire hope. Many years ago I uh, ran across a verse in Romans 15, verse number 4, that just opened up a whole new world to me where But the Apostle Paul said that those things that were written aforetime, referring to the Old Testament, were written for our learning, for our admonition. And so many times when people are reading in the Old Testament, automatically they think, you know, what in the world does that have to do with us? Well in reality, it has everything to do with us because it was intended to give us instructions and inspire hope in our lives today. And so here in this story of Samson, we can, we can approach this story with the, with the idea, with the hope, with the belief that there's something here for us. This is just one little snippet, one little incident in the life of a man who is now at this point in time a weary warrior who needs help. Now, your story is different. You've never had to do battle with the Philistines You're not in the situation that he was in. Your story is different. It could be a thousand and one different things, but the fact of the matter is, it might be that you are one of those weary warriors. You are one of those that you've fought the good fight of faith, you've been faithful to the Lord, regular in your attendance, generous in your giving, loving toward others, and all of those things. But for some reason, all of a sudden, just life in general has just worn you down to the point that you feel that, well, you don't know whether you can just keep going or not. And my prayer is that you'll find strength for your struggles here this morning and courage for whatever challenge you're going through, that you'll find a solution for your situation I'm glad that when I turn to this old black book I hold in my hand that it has the solution for every problem that I might ever encounter. The solution is right there in the pages of this blessed old book. Boy, I tell you, if you don't believe that, you're in a heap of trouble. Now, I want you to look at Samson's past deliverance. I want you to think about what has already happened because it's always important for us to remember the victories that we've already won, the blessings that we've already experienced. And whenever we look back to chapter 14, for example, in verse number 5 and 6, he killed a lion with his bare hands. Think about that. To kill a lion with your bare hands, that, that, that's something that the ordinary person could not do. It takes supernatural strength. It would take God's help. Verse nineteen, he killed thirty Philistines, but then, when we come to chapter fifteen, as I mentioned earlier, he killed a thousand Philistines. Now, again, you don't you don't face the same enemies that he faced. I've never had to face a roaring lion and worry about it killing me i've never had to fight 30 or a thousand philistines never but regardless of what challenge you face you can have the confidence that the same god that helped him can help you amen i mean if god did it then god can do it today so we need to consider his past deliverance, and I'll get to that in just a minute and show you how important that is. But what I want you to really see and notice is his present dilemma. There Three things about the present dilemma that he was in. First of all, he was famished. Look in verse number 18. He was sore, a thirst. You know, a lot of times we forget the value of the common things in life until all of a sudden we're forced to do so. Think about water, for example. I mean, water is essential to life. But when's the last time that you took a drink of water and just said, Thank you, Lord. Thank you. But where would we be without water? We couldn't live without water. But so many times we just take it for granted that we're going to have water to drink. And we do that same thing with a lot of things in life until all of a sudden we're deprived of it. And here he is in a situation totally exhausted and wondering, am I going to die? I don't have anything to drink. And so he's famished, but notice he's frightened. Notice verse 18, he says, Now shall I die for thirst? And fall into the hands of the uncircumcised. Speaking of the Philistines, of course. Shall I die for thirst? Now notice God has enabled him to conquer these powerful enemies. And now he's afraid that God's going to let him die for a lack of water. You see, even the greatest servants of the Lord can go through times when they are frightened. And don't you kid yourself. You might be ever so brave today and able to stand up in the face of adversity and it might seem to others that boy, you're invincible, that nothing would ever get you down. Nothing could ever stop you and all of a sudden there's some little something or another that comes into your life and, and it has you to the place that you are scared to death. Frightened. And here's Samson. Of all people, you would think, well, he wouldn't be worried about that. But notice he was forgetful. I just said, remember, and I, I said all of these things that God has done for him. But at this moment, whenever he can't find any water to drink, at this moment he is frightened to the point that he evidently has forgotten what God has already done. And that happens to us and that feeds into our fears. We, we tend to forget what God has done for us in the past because if He had thought about that, At that moment, if he had thought about that, well, I faced a lion and God delivered me. I faced 30 Philistine soldiers and God delivered me. I faced a thousand of them with nothing but the jawbone of an ass and God delivered me. I don't have anything to worry about because if God can do that, God can give me a drink of water. But he's not thinking about that at the moment. And so many times when we're going through trials, even though if someone were to inquire, we could quote Romans 8.28. We know exactly what it says, but we forget about that. And so this is the dilemma that Samson, this mighty warrior, is in. Notice the provision then that's described, verse 18, the provision that's described. In other words... How was his need met? Well, first of all, it came in answer to prayer. Verse 18 says, he called on the Lord. James says, you have not because you ask not. You know, he could have he he sat down on the stump and whittled on a stick and worried his life away thinking, when is God going to give me something to drink? I'm thirsty. I've been faithful to God. I've fought the battles for God. I've done all of this, and it's just not fair. And so many times we complain about the difficulties in our life, but we never get around to real heartfelt, continued prayer to God. And folks, if we refuse to pray about our needs, we don't have any right to complain about our needs not being met. This this is the key to everything in our life, that we take it to the Lord in prayer. That's the first thing and the most important thing he did. He called on the Lord. So his need was supplied through prayer, but I want you to notice that it came in spite of doubt. In spite of doubt. Wait a minute, but James said, you know, that the devil-minded man's unstable in all of his ways, and, you know, that, you know, if he entertains doubt, let him not think he'll receive anything of the Lord. The Bible does say that. The Bible does emphasize how important faith is. But notice here, he said, Now shall I die for thirst? If that's not an expression of doubt, I, I don't know what is. He's really thinking that there's a possibility that he would die of thirst. And so he prays. But he's praying, evidently, if I understand this, he's praying with some doubt in his heart. It shouldn't be that way. He should have just said, Lord, I'm bringing this petition before you. You know how hard I fought. You know how thirsty I am. You know how great my need is. I need water. And I believe with all of my heart that you're going to supply it. Now, he could have said that, but he didn't. He said, now shall I die for thirst. You know, it's a mistake for us to assume that God expects us to be perfect before we receive anything from him. Be honest about it. How many times have you prayed? You prayed about something that was of great importance. You prayed about something that you knew that could not be, could not be solved unless God intervened, and you prayed. But, but yet somewhere in your heart, you really wondered if God's going to do that, right? Somebody that was sick, and you prayed for him, but yet you you knew the cancer was to such a point that. God's probably not going to answer this prayer. Or there's a home that is divided, a couple that is split and divorce is intimate. It looks like there's no possible way to salvage that marriage. And you pray, God, restore that marriage. But deep down in your heart, you think to yourself, it's not going to happen. It's gone too far. Or maybe you're praying for some lost person you want them to be saved. You pray they will be saved, but deep down in your heart, you think, no. You know it's they've just reached the point that you they won't listen to reason. They they you know they're just beyond beyond any hope. I don't know about you, but I've had all of those things happen to me. The answer to the prayer was not because of the greatness of my faith. It was in spite of my failures, in spite of my flaws. I'm so thankful that we serve a God like that. A God that in spite of all of our doubts, all of our failures, often intervenes and provides what we need. We don't deserve it, but He does it. All because... He loves us. But then notice it came in an unusual way, verse number 19. Now remember, he had slain all of the Philistines, a thousand of them, with the jawbone of an ass, and he tossed it aside. And all of a sudden, when God answered the prayer, there was a hollow place there in the jawbone, and water came out. I have tried and tried and tried in my mind to picture how that must have been. I... I've got to tell you, I I just, I just can't get the picture in my mind. I mean, did it just spew out like a fountain? You know, you go out there and push a button and a water squirt. I, I I don't know. I I can't imagine exactly how it happened. Was it just a you know a hollow place there that that God filled up and it just kept filling up over and over? I, I don't know. I I don't really care. But I wonder about it because it is so unusual. God could have sent a rain cloud over, a gully washer. God could have done a lot of different things. He could have sent a lightning bolt that hit the ground and all of a sudden uncovered a spring of water. He could have done it that way. God could have sent a messenger, someone that, you know, was toting a five-gallon bag of water, but God didn't. He did it in an unusual way and an unexpected way. But notice that God supplied his need out of what he already had. It, it was there. He tossed it aside. It was laying there, it was, but he already had that. God didn't provide it from some other outward means. God took what he had and provided what he needed. And so many times we pray for God to meet a need in our life and we're always looking out there somewhere that God would send someone or God would give us something or that God would do something that we don't have that would provide the need that we desire. And in many cases, what we need, we already have. We just haven't recognized it yet. I think God works that way in churches. So many times, you know, we think, well, boy, what we really need is this fireball to come in and help out, you know, with the young people or with the Sunday school program or this or that. And I'm so glad that we can look around and see how God has worked and and that God has raised up from our own congregation people to meet those needs. Isn't that wonderful to see God at work that way? Providing what we need out of what we've already got. You see, you've got a whole lot more than you think you do because with God, you have everything you need. He can take what you already have and make it sufficient to meet whatever you need. Now, all of this is a wonderful story, but there's one more thing that we need to notice, and that is the practical declaration to us. The lesson in this for us as I started out saying, those things who were written aforetime were written for what? For us, for our learning, for our admonition, that we will profit from them. And whenever we think about that and we try to put ourselves in Samson's sandals and we think about how it must have been for him, even though our experience is different, we can look back and think about all of the past victories that we've already won. We've never killed a lion. We've never killed any Philistines. But if you're a Christian, you've already gained some great victories in your life. Victories that have been given to you. We think about the victory over sin. How wonderful that is. To think about the fact that God delivered us from sin. And, And think about the temptations that God has delivered you from. And and the fears that He has delivered you from. If you'll think back over the course of your life, I almost guarantee you, you can remember some point in your life where your fear was so great, you thought to yourself, I'll never get over this. I'll never survive this. I'll never smile again. my, My life is just, for all practical purposes, it's just over for me. You've been there, done that. And God comes along and all of a sudden God uses some, maybe some person, God uses some verse of Scripture. God works by His Holy Spirit, but in some way to deliver you from that awful fear that has consumed you. You've already experienced that. It might be that you've been given to doubt. Those times where you've just, for all practical purposes, given up. Doubt has flooded your heart And you think to yourself, I'll just never have that confidence that I need again. But all of a sudden, God met that need. So it helps to look at those past victories, but mark it down. There will be new problems that will arise, new problems that's going to come. And you could say this, this short story is a commentary on life. He's just gone through these great battles. God gave him the victory. But no sooner are they over, and what? And he's about to die of thirst, at least in his mind. And if God had not intervened, I suppose that might have been true. And so that's the way life is for us. It's always changing. You win a battle today, but tomorrow there's another battle to be fought. You can't prevent these things. We can't escape these things. But with God's help, we can endure whatever they are. One of the best things that we can do is to look at a story like this and to think about what we learn from it. Number one, we learn that our problems make us aware of our weakness. It's real easy for us, especially whenever we live in the lap of luxury like Americans do. We've got, you know, basically everything. Who, who, ever, who ever thought about how important water is? But if you lived in some places in Africa and different parts of the world, boy, to find clean water, uh, that, that's something that's difficult. There are people that die for a lack of water people that die for a lack of food. But you and I have plenty of both, you see. And so we don't worry about that. And after a while, in society we develop this attitude that we've got everything we need and if we don't have it, we can get it, we can do it. You know, and we get filled with pride and we forget about how weak we really are. And this is teaching us here that we're a lot weaker than what we think that we are. So it makes us aware of our weakness. And remember what Paul said? He said, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Oh, listen, this can happen to any Christian. It might be that you've been saved 20 or 30 years God has already enabled you to overcome sin and temptation and fear and doubt and all of those things. And now you feel in your heart, boy, I've got my act together. I don't have anything to worry about. If there's some problem that arises, you know, I can find the solution. I can work my way through it. And You you just don't realize how weak you really are. Take heed, he said, lest you fall. Secondly, These problems, these difficulties, not only reveal to us our weakness, but they cause us to turn to God. Think about where you would be if you never had a problem of any kind. Go on, back through your mind. Go back to your teenage years or before that never got sick, never was hungry, never had any needs, never had any trials, never any problems, you wouldn't be worth a plug nickel. None of us would. Because it's out, uh, listen, it's out of our troubles and trials that we realize that we are too weak to cope with life as it is. And that we are in desperate need of God. That how we're higher power that some people speak of that we need God because we can't do it on our own and so these troubles teach us to depend upon God now we think about troubles as always being you know something that is bad and certainly they're bad in the sense that they're painful they're bad in the sense that they dash our hopes and dreams to pieces but even those bad things become good things when they cause us to finally turn to God for what we really need the most important thing out of all of this is not just that it shows us our weakness not that it shows us our need of God but the fact that it gives God an opportunity to demonstrate his mighty power read the story of Samson and the you know, it might be the first thing you think of that this is intended to show us Samson's great strengths. No, it's not. The whole story of Samson, I mean, from beginning to end and throughout all of these battles in every situation, the main point is not to show us his strength, but to show us his weakness that we might see God's power. That's what it's all about there. Just the mention of Samson's name and we think of some guy that's nine foot tall with 30 inch biceps and he's a giant of a man and his size didn't make any difference because his strength was not inherent. It was not something that he had of himself, not something that was imparted by others, but it was something in fact that only God could do. And so whenever things come into your life, troubles come your way, think about it that it's, look, it's, life isn't all about you. And it's not all about here and now. It's about God and it's about later. And Sometimes those trials that we despise the most, the things that we least desire can be the things that we most need. Think about Joseph. Now what a a sad story that is that his own brothers threw him in a pit and sold him into slavery, went back home with this made-up story that evidently poor little Joseph has been consumed by some beast. You know, here we found an article of his clothing and the blood on it. And so... Daddy, I guess, I guess he's gone. I guess you, it's just us now. And to let their father live all of that time thinking that Joseph was dead. I mean, how cruel can you get? And so here is poor little Joseph sold into slavery, sold into Egypt. And there he is. And you know the story My falsely accused and thrown into prison. Nobody cares about poor little poor little Joseph. So terrible, so unfair that God would let something so bad happen to a kid that was so good. But follow the story and you come down to the point that in the end. Because he was there, because all of that had happened, as a result of him being sold into Egypt, as a result of all of that, he became the physical savior of the world. He had the key to the storehouse for the food that people needed. God used him as his instrument literally to feed the world, And I love that story when finally, you know, when finally the brothers come down into Egypt. They're looking for food. In their mind, they don't need Joseph. We'll get rid of him. He's just a brat. He thinks he's better than we are. We'll get rid of him and his silly dreams. And we'll just sell him into slavery. Tell daddy that an animal ate him. And now here they are down there knocking on the door begging for bread, and they don't even realize at the first that they're dealing with their own flesh and blood brother Joseph. And finally, as they come back, and it's finally revealed to them who he is, and he he told them, he said, he said, you meant it, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we all looked at our trials and troubles that way? The old devil meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And he said, I'll tell you what. He said, load up the wagons, boys, and go home and get daddy and bring daddy down here because I've got everything daddy needs. They went back with that story and Jacob couldn't believe it. But when he saw the wagons, it says... He saw the wagons loaded down with the supplies. Can you, imagine, can you imagine how happy he must have been when he started out that day? God using something painful, something awful, something unjust to accomplish his will. And we come to the New Testament and there's Paul and Silas. Boy, if ever anybody was faithful to God, it was Paul. And as a result of his faithfulness, he was hated, he was beaten, he was in prison there in the Philippian jail. But at midnight, instead of calling for the lawyer, instead of lodging a protest against the system, at midnight, they pray, just like Samson, and they sing praises to God. They didn't lift their fist in defiance. They didn't curse God saying He's being unfair. They sang praises to God and the jailer heard them. And whenever God shook that prison, the jailer comes running in saying, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Oh, we look at that whole experience up to that point as something that is so bad, so terrible. Paul has been beating. See the blood running down his back and now in this cold, damp prison. How unfair it is. Oh, no. No. God had something in mind. God knew there was a jailer and his family, by the way. The jailer and his family. And they needed to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They needed to learn the way of salvation. And God allowed his dear servant to go through those difficulties that he might get that message to that jailer and to his family. And they were all saved as a result of that. The list could go on and on and on of how God used bad things to accomplish something great. And he wants to do the same thing in your life. I know you get weary. I know there are times that even though God has given you great deliverance in the past, that you're faced with something right now, it may be physical or mental or economic or whatever it is, but you're just at that point that you're you're just exhausted. You're not tired of working for God. You're just you know, you're just so exhausted you think, Well, I just can't go on any longer i love paul's attitude when he wrote later to the to the philippians the church at philippi now he's writing to that church and he says but i would that ye should understand brethren that the things which happened unto me let me stop there a minute I can let my mind race back over the 53 years that I've been preaching and I can gather together all of the bad stuff that I've experienced. And as difficult as those things were for me, I've never been through anything like what Paul had suffered. Read the record, folks. What he went through was horrible. And time and time and time again, And now he's saying to this church, the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Wow. It's like Paul saying, what happened to me doesn't matter because God used all of those things to further the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And folks, listen, whether you keep going or not, whether you survive this or not, matters because of the fact of God wanting to use you. God wants to do something in your life to demonstrate the greatness of His power that ultimately would bring others to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you've never received Christ well, it's no wonder life is difficult for you. I, really, I don't know how you make it. I don't, know, I, I don't know how you survive without Christ. And your greatest need is not to be encouraged. Your greatest need is not to get a raise. Your greatest need is not to be in perfect health. Your greatest need is to be right with God. And the only way that can happen is is for you to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Well, why wouldn't you trust him this morning? Remember that jailer said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul, you know, he could have said a lot of different things. He, he could have said, you've got to join our church. you got to be baptized. You've got to be a good neighbor. You've got to be generous in your giving. But he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how easy it is. That's how simple it is. Salvation is simple. It's easy. It wasn't easy for Jesus. But it's easy for you because it was hard for him. The world's greatest injustice ever was when he was nailed to the cross. But out of that horrible experience came the most wonderful blessing that man can know. And that's to know Him as our Lord and Savior. Please trust Him this morning. And if you're here as a discouraged Christian this morning, look, it's time that you got back up and got in the fight and stayed in the fight because, as the song says, it'll be worth it all. When we hear Him say, well done. Amen. That'll make it worth it. Father, we thank You this morning. For the lessons that we learn from your word, from the experiences that we, that we go through, even from the difficulties that we face. Lord, we're so thankful that we can look back with a long record of, of things in our life where you've given us victory. It might be that like Samson that we doubted. We were so far from imperfect and it's only by your grace that you gave us victory. Certainly none of us deserve salvation, and yet you saved us for Jesus' sake. And I pray this morning that you'll do something in the life of your people, that you'll encourage some weary warrior, that you'll lift up their spirits, that you'll help them through their difficulties, that you'll give them victory. And most especially we pray for those that like the jailer, that that are unsaved, that today they might come to realize that their only hope Their only hope is Jesus, that they would trust Him here this morning as their Lord and Savior. For we beg it in His dear name. Amen. While we stand and as we sing together, would you come? 544.